Exciting days, abundant life. So good to see you. Welcome, Independence Blue Springs. All of you worshiping on our online campus, Lee Summit. So good to see you as well. I want all of you to help me welcome the dear saints of God in Cedar Falls, Iowa, right now. We're so glad that you're part of Abundant Life. Thank you for bringing Abundant Life to Cedar Falls. So, Troy and Amy Price is a part of our online campus has renovated the family barn on the family farm, and they're sitting there today with about a dozen other families worshiping with us at this very moment as a part of our online campus. And Troy and Amy, thank you for your pioneering vision to be a part of a new move of God that God is doing now in these late days. I'm convinced in the move of God for 2,000 years in 21st century America, the way Jesus shows himself real and the way people are gonna find their faith is changing right there in people's homes. This is why we're launching an online campus and very soon, just a couple of weeks from now, we'll be able to introduce you to our online campus pastor that we have just hired coming up from Texas. And uh, we are thankful that they will be here very, very shortly and I'll get to introduce them to all of you. Troy and Amy, thank you for partnering with us. Your friendship for the gospel is so very exciting as others around the country are joining us in this manner. Now church, I have a very, very important announcement to make, so do listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. Because I am soon going to be leaving Abundant Life as your lead pastor. I'm gonna be resigning, retiring, getting redeployed by Jesus, whatever you wanna call it. And so I just wanna prepare you ahead of time because I am gonna be leaving very shortly as your pastor after 21 years. Now don't misunderstand, it's 10 years away at least. Okay, don't, don't misunderstand, all right? Don't, don't misunderstand, all right? <laughs> <laughs> and after today, you're like, yeah, well, you can hit the road right now, buddy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, the reality is, it is, as far as I know, years away. Like, I think I've got another decade, at least, in front of me. But listen very carefully. I will be leaving. Listen very carefully. You're going to be leaving. We're all leaving. And one day, there will be another pastor standing here. And there will be other people sitting there. And do you understand, it's always the call of one generation to pass the mantle to the next generation. I mean, that's the move of God that's been moving for 2,000 years. One generation passes the mantle of ministry to the next. And so when I say I'm leaving, I really am. I've been preparing to leave for years. And I hope I have another 10 years. I'm not gonna stay any longer than I should. I promise you that. But here's the point. If we really believe one day we will leave, then we should always live every day in view of the end. That is what the Apostle Peter has been doing in our study of 1 Peter. And we're in 1 Peter chapter five. And as Peter is signing off this letter, he is saying his goodbyes. He knows that very soon he's gonna be leaving. And in fact, history records that within just maybe a couple of years of writing this letter, he would be martyred for his faith, persecuted by Rome, crucified upside down, and he is literally raising up and passing the baton to the next generation as he writes these words, as we all should. First Peter chapter five, beginning in verse one. The elders who are among you, I exhort, 
I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, we covered this last week, the shepherd's calling. And the reality is, you have Peter here who is exhorting and admonishing those other shepherds and pastors among the people. And there is indeed a title, pastor, the function of pastor. And I don't want to minimize the title if you carry that title. In my case, I carry this title, pastor, and it means something. It carries authority and responsibility. But what I said last week, I want you to hear me say again, these words are for everybody because everybody is supposed to pastor somebody. You see, everybody is somebody's leader. And in this age of professionalism, I think one of the worst things that happened to the American church is we have this concept that we pay the professionals to do the work of the ministry, like Pastor Phil, you're the pastor. No, I'm telling you, that's one of the problems in modern American Christianity. And what we're doing through this online campus and our ministry philosophy is we are empowering and equipping the people in the pews to do the work of the ministry. That means you. Guess what? Whether you ever have a title, you are a shepherd. You're to shepherd somebody. Uh, Troy and Amy Price, you're up there in Cedar Falls, and you're shepherding a part of the flock of God. You may never have the title, but you very much are functioning as a shepherd. And that is true of everybody. There's the shepherd's calling. And with these next words, guess what Peter is doing? He is now exhorting the next generation coming behind the first generation. Here's what's amazing about Christianity, guys. Historically, most movements do not last past the first generation. The movement dies with the first generation. They certainly don't last past the second generation. But what's happened in 2,000 years is the move of God has lasted from one generation to the next. And I'm convinced it is because that first generation, the apostolic generation, set up the next generation. And then the next generation followed after them. And that ought to be the goal of every single Christian. And so what he's doing here is now exhorting that next generation. This is likewise, verse 5. Look at what he says. You younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. As Peter turns his attention now to that younger generation that is about to accept the mantle of leadership, he says specifically, I want you to listen carefully. You're going to have to walk in humility if you want to accept the mantle of leadership to take the gospel to the next generation and beyond. Now, I got to tell you, church, at this life uh, I'm now living, the season I am, one of the things that brings me the most joy is to see the next generation accepting the mantle of leadership and taking the torch of the gospel with them. It's so exciting. I mean, it's one of the most things that gives me the most joy right now. Did you know that at this very moment, we have young leaders on our staff, and I am convinced some of these young leaders in their 20s on our staff today will be leading our church at the highest levels long after I'm gone, long after many of us are gone. I mean, it's exciting to see. This ought to bring us all great joy to see the next generation starting to run with the gospel and lead on such a high level. Now, I think a, a really healthy church should uh, have a lot of diversity, and I don't just mean eth with ethnicity. I, I mean with 
the demographic of generations. Like we have people here, we probably have five generations in our church. That's the mark of a healthy church. So I don't want to minimize the older generation. Like even on our staff, we have some really remarkable seasoned leaders. I'm talking about gray hairs and I'm talking about no hairs. And I'm thankful for all of them, all right? But, but, but I do want to celebrate today some of our younger leaders because this is who Peter's writing to specifically, and it really is so exciting. Meet, for example, Savvy Hughes and Peyton Godshill. Yeah, this is exciting stuff. Now, you know what's going to happen today out at Arrowhead? They're going to introduce all these NFL players in the starting team, and everybody's going to go nuts and crazy, and I'm all for cheering for the home team, and I think Mahomes is awesome. I cheer for him, too. But you understand, they're playing a game that in the end will not matter. I mean, honestly, we think it matters. In the end, it won't matter. We're playing a game that will last forever. I mean, this is the real Super Bowl we're in. You understand that, right? So I think we ought to cheer for some of heaven's stars like none other. I'm telling you, there's some rising stars. Give it up for Savvy Hughes and Peyton Godsell. I mean, these young ladies got it going on. They do. Now, here's what's so exciting about their story. We're becoming a second-generation church. I mean, we're watching people who were born and raised in our church starting now to be leaders in our church, next-generation leaders. And I've known Savvy Hughes since the day she was born. That makes me old. What can we say? I mean, we're getting old. Some of us are getting old. What, what can we say? It's true. But this is what's so cool about Savvy. She came up through our youth group, Fusion Student Ministry. Now she is leading on staff, Fusion Student Ministry. She has the gift of organizing and mobilizing. And then Peyton Godshill, she was a student in Fusion Student Ministry. She emceed this service. A couple of weeks ago, I sat over there going, wow. It's like she's been doing this 20 years. She's better than I am. I mean, at the same age, I couldn't have done that. I mean, so gifted. I'm talking not just gifted, but mature, doing such a remarkable job. Meet Luke Crabb. Luke Crabb is our young adult pastor. He's leading Paradigm. Here's a man in his late 20s leading at the highest level. I mean, he's leading like a man in his 40s with such understanding, such maturity, true giftedness. Now, wonderful, amazing story. Here's a guy five years ago was an atheist. I mean, he was an avowed atheist. He's a lifelong atheist. His girlfriend, who'd one day marry, came to Christ, began sharing the gospel with him. Luke, if you know him, he's an intellectual academic. He's not going to do anything without giving it some careful thought. And so for the next six months, Luke's story is this. He carefully researched the evidence of the resurrection. Like, is it real history? Is it real hoax? Follow the evidence wherever it led. Six months later, gives his life to Christ. Today, he's leading other young adults to find Christ. Isn't that an awesome, remarkable story? I mean, it is the coolest thing, isn't it? I mean, this is just amazing. Meet to Sean Avery, 29 years old, ripe old age of 29 leading our fusion student ministries. And here's Tashawn's story. He comes on our staff five years ago. I'm telling you, church, I have literally watched Tashawn grow up before my very eyes. He has become a man, a real man, rejecting passivity, accepting responsibility, leading courageously. If you know Tashawn's story, in his past is a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. Did you know that leadership is forged in pain? Leadership is forged in the furnace of suffering. 
and to Sean has allowed that suffering and pain in his past to forge him into a true man of God. I have such profound respect for Tashawn. I'm so thankful for him leading at such a high level. I'm telling you, some of these people will be leading our church on the highest levels long after I'm gone. That brings me so much joy. It really does. Meet Jackson Fritch. Let's nickname Jackson the old man. All right, he's the old man, 22 years old, maybe 21. About three years ago, he's a prodigal. He comes back to Jesus maybe, maybe three years ago. He, he meets a young lady named Tara who got saved, gave her life to Jesus about two years ago through Paradigm. Today, they're out there at our Independence Campus leading our family ministries. He oversees our students. He oversees our kids. And I'm trying to tell you, we don't just pass out titles around here as though they don't matter. No, we don't just give people jobs and pay them unless they have demonstrated they can do them and earn them. Jackson does not lead like a 21, 22-year-old. He leads like a season. Man, I am so thankful for Jackson. Give it up for Jackson Fritch, would you? This is awesome. Now listen, I don't just mean those on staff. I've told you last week, the greatness of any church isn't just paid staff, it is lay staff. I'm talking not just paid leadership, I'm talking lay leadership. You're on the deferred payment plan. You get paid there, not here. Amen? And that's most churches. Most of you will never be in vocational ministry, yet you're in the ministry. I think of Miles Sirig, who was very instrumental in bringing Regen to our church. So Miles is in his late 20s. He comes to me about two years ago, says, Pastor Phil, I want to bring something to Abundant Life called Regen. Regen today is where 150 people tomorrow night are getting free from life-controlling issues of all kinds. And it could be argued that Regen would not be here were it not for the vision of this young man by the name of Miles Sarig. Miles, we are so thankful for your leadership and your vision in our church. He's not getting paid. He just loves Jesus. He loves people. He wants people to get free. Uh, meet the McDowell brothers, Jacob and Paul McDowell. Now, now here, here's their story. Young men, early 20s, mid-20s, they come to Paradigm, I think, maybe two years ago, our young adult ministry, and they would tell you today the reason they came is they were looking for girls. <laughs> I don't know if they found the girls, but I know they found the gospel. Yeah. I don't know if they got a hold of the girls, but the gospel got a hold of them. So they're sitting in training for our unashamed. The, the young adult ministry paradigm does these unashamed events in the city, in the heart of the city. And for a weekend, two or three times a year, they'll go into the heart of the city and share the gospel. So they're in training for this unashamed event. And they've shared the story before. Like they look at each other like, what have we gotten ourselves into? This is not what we thought we signed up for. I mean, they're getting trained in how to share the gospel but guess what? The gospel got a hold of them. Now they're training others to share the gospel. They're training other people. Every time we go into the city with our unashamed, they're leading fusion students as fusion group leaders. They're leading at paradigm. They're not getting paid, yet they are leaders to the core. Thank you, both of the McDowell brothers. You are rising stars for Jesus. 
This is what God is doing. These are who Peter's now writing to. Peter's writing to that emerging generation of leadership that's coming behind the apostles to carry the torch of the gospel to the next generation. And what you need to know, if you're one of them, and we have lots and lots of young people here and lots and lots of young leaders emerging, here's what Peter is teaching to the next generation. The apostle Peter's teaching, you cannot be a great leader until you've learned to be a great follower. See, the test of leadership is followership. If you have not proven that you can follow, God will not trust you to lead because we are learning the number one prerequisite of leadership, authority, and carrying great responsibility is humility. And so God will always test our ability to lead by testing our ability to follow. Because I'm gonna tell you, sometimes following is harder than leading. And this is why he says in 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Submit yourselves to your leaders. Because he's testing, can I trust you with leadership someday? And if you can't be trusted with followership, you cannot be trusted with leadership. And so he says to the younger generation, he says, submit yourselves to your elders. The reason why is the most important quality of leadership and those in responsibility that carry authority is humility. Listen carefully. God cannot trust you with a position of authority until you have learned to live under authority. Because until you can learn to live under authority, you cannot be trusted to be in authority. And that is why the character quality most needed in leadership is humility. It is not competency. It it, it is not your degrees. That is not what qualifies you in the eyes of God. That may qualify you in the eyes of men, does nothing to qualify you in the eyes of God. Because leadership, responsibility, and carrying positions of authority is not about what you have in your head. Rather, it's the condition of your heart. And that is why Peter now is very emphatic as he exhorts other leaders, whether those that are currently leading or those that are coming behind them to lead into the future after those before them have passed away. I want you to see he's saying to all of us, humility is the number one key to leading well, to leading with responsibility. Here's the deal. I am a man in authority, but I'm also a man under authority. And if I ever forget that I am under authority, then I will no longer handle wisely my position of authority. And we can all think, I mean, I think we've all lived long enough to know and point to various situations and people and places where you have a leader in a great position of responsibility, a great position of authority, but because he lacks the humility, eventually he begins using it unwisely and irresponsibly, and eventually, because he doesn't have the humility to go with his authority, he will fall flat on his face and blow up everybody. And I can think of pastors, I can think of churches, I can think of companies and small businesses and corporations, I can think of government. I'm moving away from that one. Phil, keep moving, walk away. Now what's the problem? Everywhere you look, you have people in position of power full of pride. And when pride and power come together, it's always a recipe for disaster. It's just a matter of time. It's going to be a train wreck. 
And that's why everywhere you look, there seems to be a train wreck. You have people with positions of power that lack humility, and power and pride should have never come together. That is why Peter is saying the number one quality. You want to be a man of responsibility, a woman in authority, you better learn how to walk in humility because you will abuse it if you get it. And that's why he's telling the younger generation, you better first learn to follow before you lead. Humility is the key. Now, we don't talk about our six core values as a staff publicly. We talk about our core values as a church all the time. You hear them all the time. Generosity, evangelism, discipleship, community, worship, right? If you were to come on our staff, you would be given six core values we talk about as a staff. These are not things we do. These are things we are. I'm not going to give you all six, but I'm going to give you the first one. I'm going to give you the most important one. It's humility. And if you come on our staff, you're going to get a neatly uh, packaged and framed core values of our staff. And you're going to hang it on your wall as a reminder. And the first one there is humility. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look not on your own interest, but on the interest of others. Now listen, those two verses will revolutionize every relationship you have in life. I can put it on any level you want to. Friendship, relationships, marriage, Krista and I are about to go on a little trip to celebrate 30 years of marriage. 30 years. Now, not only do we still love each other, the real miracle is we still like each other. After 30 years. Let me tell you why that's a miracle. Because I married the most stubborn, hard-headed woman on the face of the planet. And just to be clear, she married the most stubborn, hard-headed man on the place of the planet. Here's what I want you to see. This is why in marriage, it's so easy. You do like this every day, button heads. Do you know why? Because we're hard-headed. Here's the difference. We're both hard-headed. Good news is we're both soft-hearted. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 is the key. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than himself. Let each feel not in your own interest, but on the interest of others. The key is humility. Whether it's in marriage or relationships or friendships or family, whatever it is, the key is choosing humility. And I want you to see that you can't lead well if you're not a person choosing humility. And humility is something you choose because there's not one among us that are born with it. No, we're all born naturally prideful, arrogant, put me first, look out for my own interest first, my own gain, my own name, my own fame. These are things you have to choose. So if you come on our staff, this is something we talk about often, and this is how we define it. We reject anything done pridefully, selfishly, or with feelings of envy or jealousy. We will esteem, serve, and honor other team members more than ourselves. As a team, we don't care who gets the credit as long as God gets the glory. You see, in the end, imagine how much we could accomplish if nobody cared who got the credit, as long as God gets the glory. And that is why it is so crucial, church, that we all walk in humility, regardless of your position, regardless of your title, because in the end, if you lack humility, it will always breed rivalry and destroy church's unity. 
See, here's the reality. If you have humility, it will foster unity. But if you lack humility, it will foster rivalry. Again, put it in the marriage or any other relationship. If you're not walking in humility, it's going to foster rivalry because you're going to live in insecurity. And you're going to see everybody else as a threat to your position or your power or, or, or your name. And we see this in the ultimate selfie society where it's all about me. I mean, this is so unique to choose humility. And so I just got to tell you, the number one quality, what is Peter teaching? It's humility. As your pastor, as your shepherd, you know, I'm called to protect the flock of God. Let me tell you what I'm always on the look for. Somebody who has pride Somebody who is into self-promotion, somebody who's into position. You know what I'm thinking? Quietly without you knowing, mm, better make sure they don't get in leadership because they'll make it all about them. And that's always gonna be a train wreck eventually. We know people in positions of influence and leadership. You all do, I do. They made it all about them. And when you make it all about you and they make it all about them, it's a recipe for division and dissension. You see, what you do to foster unity in marriage or church, whatever it is, humility. But when you lack humility, it will foster rivalry. And that is why Peter's teaching, this is the number one character quality if you want to lead. First Peter 5 and verse 5, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another. You never grow out of the need to submit. You never grow out, no matter how far you go, you never hit the spiritual plateau where all of a sudden, I don't need to submit anymore. No, we all have to walk in submission. Ephesians 5.21, mutually submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. You see, those in authority have to walk as one under authority, or you will abuse your authority, handle it irresponsibly, and blow up everybody. All of you be submissive one to another. He says, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What are we learning? Listen, God is looking for leaders who will choose mutual submission over competition, division, and self-promotion. Because most leaders are all about self-promotion. My own gain. Use my position for my fame. And God is saying, no. I want leaders who will walk in mutual submission, not by position, don't foster competition. Now here's what I want you to see, church. Pride exists in us all. Pride is what comes natural to all of us. I'm just gonna confess my sin right now. I'm a prideful person. Your pastor Phil is a prideful, prideful person. Now before you sit there all self-righteous, you is too. We all is. It exists in us all. What is pride? Pride is that part of us that wants to put me first. Pride is that part of us that is full of self-promotion. Pride is that part of us that wants the selfie and all the glory. See, that, that's pride. It exists in everybody, which is why you have to choose humility because it doesn't come naturally. And I'm aware of this, that, that, that I'm a prideful person by nature. And a lot of you be surprised, like Pastor Phil, you don't seem prideful. You say that because I'm not arrogant. See, arrogance is something you can see. Arrogance is easy to see. Arrogance is something people wear outwardly. But pride hides itself inwardly. Pride disguises itself. It hides itself. And we are really good in church life at 
hiding our pride. Oh, glory to God. Praise Jesus. And inside you're going, yeah, I did do a pretty good job. I am awesome. Oh, giggle, you know it's true. I'm serious. And so here's what I want you to see. Sin lives within me. Sin lives within you. Until we are delivered from these mortal bodies, we have to make war on sin and war on our sin. And this is how I've chosen to make war on my pride because here's the reality. I'm aware of something you may not be aware of about me. God knows it personally. I am a competitive person. I mean, I'm built for competition. I've been watching the scoreboard all of my life. And I'm built for competition, and I could give in to self-promotion, recognition, desire for reputation. I repent every day. God, forgive me. And I've learned you have to go on the offensive. You have to go on the offensive against your sin, the offensive against your pride, to corner it, contain it, and then crucify it. And this is how I've learned to do this over 21 years of ministry. So for example, I, I mentor three church planners that are planning churches right here in our own city, right here in my own backyard, Lee Summit. They came to me individually the last few months, and it's just, I'm just giving you an example of how I make war on my sin. Uh, Pastor Phil, will you mentor us? And so I agreed to do that. Now understand, they will never be part of our vision. There's nothing in it for me personally. They'll never be a part of abundant life. Chances are someday some of the people that go to this church will someday go to their church. One of them asked recently, Phil, why do you do this for us? Here's what I said. Because if I really care about God's kingdom and not just the abundant life kingdom, I will do things that do not benefit the abundant life kingdom, but benefits greatly God's kingdom. Now, you need to know, that's not something I would do naturally. I'm telling you, pastors can be the most egotistical. I'm talking arrogant, turf protection, competition, like I know the pastors in our area that are actually really for me, and I know the ones that just act like they are. Because when I get around them, I can tell it's like, you know, I, I represent some threat to their little kingdom. That's a lot of pastors. I know that lives in me too. I hate it about me. So I make war against it. Like I pray for these other pastors and I try to help these other pastors. I gave these three guys our playbook, the Abundant Life playbook. I wish somebody 20 years ago would have done this for me. I'm happy now to do it for them. Imagine Mahomes today, he goes to the opposite locker room to the team they're playing and says, hey guys, I just want you to see our plays. These plays work really, really good. I mean, we're going to be running these plays. You should try them too. Can you imagine? Who does that? This is what I do. I give them a place. Here's the place. 20 years. Here's what we've learned. Here's the point. If we are for the kingdom of God and not just our own little kingdom, then we're going to do things that don't benefit us personally, but they benefit eternity. This is how I make war on my sin. Now, I don't know how you do that. Maybe instead of posting glamour shots of yourself over the next month on your Facebook page, you post glamour shots of other people. You talk more about them than you talk about yourself. I don't know how you do it. I'm telling you, this is how I do it. Make somebody else look good instead of trying to make yourself look good. This is how I make war on my pride. Because there is a Saul that lives within us all. First Samuel chapter one, or first Samuel, second Samuel, you can read about three kings. Two kings and one wannabe king. 
Saul was the first king of Israel. Insecurity breeds rivalry. There was an upstart king, the next king by the name of David. You remember the story, right? David just wants to serve Saul. David is not a threat to Saul. But all of a sudden, one day, Saul's coming back from battle, and he hears the women of Israel singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David, he's killed ten thousands. And all of a sudden, Saul burned with jealousy and envy, and all of a sudden, he turns on David and sees him as a threat. You know why? Because Saul was trying to hang on to something that was not his to hang on to. Saul was trying to keep what was not his to keep, and the older generation has a tendency to try to hang on what is not ours to hang on to and try to keep what is not ours to keep. Saul was not about God's kingdom. He was about his own kingdom. And all of a sudden, you have this David who's simply serving Saul, and Saul starts throwing spears at him. Let me ask you, how do you respond when people throw spears at you? David would not pick them up and throw them back. And that is why God said, he's a man after my own heart. There's a man I can trust with leadership. How do I make war on my Saul? Listen, there is a Saul that lives within us all. I'll tell you another way I make war on my Saul. A few years ago, I promoted and named a teaching pastor named Chad Glover, who you hear from at least once a month, who in my opinion is every bit my equal, if not even a little bit better than Pastor Phil. I'll tell you how the average pastor thinks, nah, I'm not going to let him up here. I mean, what if they like him more than me? I mean, honestly, most guys in my position don't let Chad in his position. You know, if I have a teaching pastor, it's somebody who's just not quite as good. So when you come to church and find out Phil's not preaching, you go, oh. And every once in a while when Chad gets done preaching, somebody will say, Pastor Phil, you better be careful. Chad might take your job someday. Winky eye. <laughs> to which I say, well, isn't that the goal? I mean, is, is, isn't that the goal? Now, I don't know who's going to be the next pastor of our church. It's way too early. Chad could go pastor another church in the next five years. I tell all of our staff, you don't belong to me. You belong to Jesus. I hope Chad's still here, but I don't know if he's going to be still here. But what I do know, someday there will be another pastor come to pastor our church. It is not mine to keep. It's God's to give. And this is how I make war on my Saul. I give away what was never mine anyway. Now listen, there's a Saul in a Saul. There's also an Absalom in a Saul. You have David, who when he was a younger man, got the older man to throw spears at him because of insecurity and rivalry when all he wanted to do was serve him. And I gotta tell you, if you are that younger man, the way you win the trust of your leadership is by following, not trying to usurp and take what's not yours to take. Because the tendency of the older generation is to keep what's not theirs to keep, and the tendency of the younger generation is to take what's not yours to take. This is why it works with Chad and I. Because I know for a fact he's not trying to take what isn't his to take, and he knows for a fact I'm not going to keep what's not mine to keep. 
And see, every once in a while you hear somebody say, well, it's really unique at Abundant Life. You have two strong leaders like Chad and Phil, and, you know, it's just kind of rare. You have two alpha males in the same kennel, two alpha dogs, right? Here's why it works, church, because we ain't dogs. (laughs) We're men. We're spirit-filled men. And when spirit-filled men work together and pull together, no, we're not just a bunch of bag of bone and hormones and egos. No, listen carefully. When we walk in humility and mutual submission, it ends competition and self-promotion. All of a sudden, it breeds the second core value of our staff, which is synergy, which is multiplied energy. We're all better together. We can do more together. See, that's always been God's desire for the body. But it begins with humility, apart from which you get rivalry. And if you're a younger man in that younger generation, God will give you promotion if you'll win the trust of those leading you. I can trust Chad, I can trust Luke Crabb, I can trust Tashawn Avery, you know why? Because over the years I've watched them and not one time have they tried to take something that's not theirs. That makes it easy for me to give away what is not mine. This is how it works. And I want you to see what Peter is teaching. Listen very carefully. God promises your eventual promotion if you will live and lead from humility and submission. God makes a promise to us all. If you will live out of humility and submission, God promises promotion. Look at what he says in verse six. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. See, there's coming a day that we're all going to leave one way or another. We're all gonna leave. We're gonna stand in front of Jesus and the goal ought to be to hear those words from Matthew chapter 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm gonna make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You see, every single day, you're either getting a promotion in the kingdom or a demotion in the kingdom. And when you live for your little kingdom, I will promise you're getting a demotion in his kingdom. If we will all say today, I am not gonna live for my little kingdom and try it in some way for my self-promotion, but in the end, if I choose humility and submission, there's coming a day, God's gonna give you a promotion in his kingdom that will last forever. Ever. And he ends this dissertation with verse 7 casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You know why you need to do that? Because leadership is going to be harder than you can imagine. Oh, everybody wants to be the leader, the decision maker, till they have to be one. Oh, everybody'd love to have the title and the position till you get to make the hard decisions. And then you'll get spears thrown at you too. How will you respond? How you respond defines whether or not in the eyes of God, you're really a leader. David refused to pick up the spears and throw them back. David fought all of his life But when he fought, when he went to war, it was for God's name, for God's fame. He never fought one time for his own name and his own fame. That's the kind of leader God is looking for. 
And there's going to be times that you want to quit. You better learn to cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. After 21 years, sometimes the younger leaders ask, Phil, how are you still here after 21 years? I mean, that is a long time. Let me tell you what it's not. It's not guts and it's not grit. I used to think 21 years ago, guts and grit. Remember, I was the SWAT cop before I was here. I had the SWAT cop mentality, like we're going to kick doors in for Jesus. Kick tail and take names for Jesus. Yeah, we can't be stopped. We got guts, we got grit, determination. I really believe that. Until I tell you what happens, leadership and life in general, sorry for the locker room, it's football season, the locker room talk, let me just put it to you this way. Life has a way of handing your backside to you. Leadership has a way of handing your backside to you, okay? It'll humble you. Like all of a sudden you get blindsided, didn't see that coming, you're flat on your back. And you think you're really tough until you wake up flat on your back. Here's here's what's happened in 21 years, I'm still here because I realize I'm not as tough as I thought I was. And it ain't guts and it's not grit. Like we all have a threshold where you would quit. I've been there, I know my threshold and that makes it grace. It's grace, it's the grace of God in you. And every single day I pray for grace to finish the race. Church, I will finish my race someday. Someday I really will stand before you and say, church, the Lord has shown me it is time to be redeployed. I'll no longer be your lead pastor. I'm gonna finish my race. I'm gonna finish it well. I wanna break the tape at a full sprint the way I started, I'm going to. But I'll promise it will not be because I had so much guts and grit, it'll be by the grace of God. You see, leaders have learned how to walk in God's grace, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. It's too heavy for you. Every single day you take it off your shoulders. You cast it before him. This is what Peter's now saying, is he is about to end his race. And he's telling you here the key to longevity, not just in leadership, but in life. You wanna finish well? It's God dependency instead of self-sufficiency. That's it. You're learning to live in God dependency. I need him. Jesus, I pray for every person here today. For every member of our online campus worshiping over at Independence and Blue Springs in this Lee Summit Auditorium. Some today I know are in the fire, tribulation and suffering. Leadership is forged in the furnace. Our faith is forged in the furnace. Now I just wanna pray for you today. If you have the humility to stand and confess how much you need him. And I'm going through a trial today and I pray for grace to finish the race. I'm just gonna ask you to stand right now. All all I wanna do is pray with you. We're gonna cast our cares upon him right now. In your living room where you're watching from, right here in this auditorium, I'm standing with you. It's an act of humility to stand and say, I'm not a tough guy. Man, I need Jesus. Jesus, you see these men and women on their feet but it's because we're actually bowing inwardly. 
Today we confess how much we need you. I pray for each of these men and women in the fire and the furnace and trial and tribulation. I pray that right now they would cast their care upon you for you care for us. And Jesus, I pray blessing over them that you'd give them the grace to finish the race you've called them to. That you would carry that cross with them and even for them, no matter how far or how heavy. And right now we claim the promise together of Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Say that right now. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now let's confess the promise of Philippians 4.19. My God, shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus, thank you for these promises. We know that you will perform and that we can finish the race. Lead well and break the tape. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give Jesus the glory with me today? Praise him, would you? Church, I love you a whole bunch, and I hope you have a super blessed Sunday. All these folks here are here to minister to you, to pray with you. Some of you ought to come this way and just say, hey, would you pray for me in this area, this area? That's why they're here. We love you. God, go with you.